You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to be once again resuming our study in the book of Philippians. So, while you're turning to Philippians, we're going to begin in chapter 2. We left off at the end of chapter 1, verse 30, and now we are going to pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Before we begin, I'd like to open in prayer. So... If you join with me, Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the privilege of gathering together in corporate worship to be able to examine your word, to be able to lift up our hearts in song and melodies and hymns, to be able to offer praise for the glorious God that you are. We pray this morning, Father, that you would once again open our hearts to your word, that we might be able to receive your word and to receive the word eagerly and then to examine those things to see if they're so. I thank you that you have given us your word and that you have given us your Holy Spirit to illuminate and to grant us the grace and the empowerment to obey your word. So as we begin this morning, Father, we just pray that you guide us, direct us, and most of all, that you'd be glorified as we examine, understand, and practice your word. And we just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this text that we're examining is considered by almost every commentator that I've looked at to be one of the supreme texts on unity and harmony of the body of Christ. As we think of that, of all the epistles that Paul has written, of all the books in the Bible, this is the central teaching and the foremost teaching that we have on the unity of the body of Christ. Today, universally, the church has been attacked on many levels. One of the areas that often attacks Christians and Christian local fellowships is the lack of understanding or the lack of ability to receive God's word as the final authority in our lives. Now, I say that universally because there's been, in many cases, a coldness and a resistance and an indifference to biblical teaching and biblical truth. That is one of the primary attacks that the enemy brings against the body of Christ today. We can also recognize that Through this kind of attack, the enemy also attacks through 
disharmony and disunity within the body of Christ. That is an attack that tears apart a local church. When there is dissension and contention within a local church, it just tears it apart. And it's a painful thing to see. And as Paul approaches this church in Philippi, he is concerned about this very issue. And yet, as we look at Paul's writings, he addresses the topic or the teachings on unity in every epistle that he writes. He touches upon that subject. But here, and especially here in this text, he gives us an understanding that is clear and precise and understandable on how the body of Christ can live in unity and harmony. And that's what we're going to examine this morning. Now, in one of the epistles or letters that Paul wrote, in the second or the last and final letter to the church at Corinth, he said this, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I might find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry, tempers, and disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. He wrote that in the book of Second Corinthians, and that was in the passage in chapter 12, verse 20. He also feared that sin would destroy the purity in the church at Corinth. And in the following verse, he writes this, I'm afraid that when I come again, that my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. That was in verse 21 of Second uh, Corinthians 12. Apparently, Paul was concerned about the church in Philippi. They faced a similar danger of disunity and division from personal conflict and especially noted between Iodia and Sintichi, which he addresses in chapter 4 of this epistle, beginning with verse 2. Now, disunity or disharmony is a danger in every local church. And a danger that Paul addressed to some extent, as I mentioned previously, in every one of his epistles. In his letter to the church in Rome, he said this, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. That was in Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. Think about the essence of what Paul was saying to the church in Rome. 
to exercise that same kind of love that Christ reflected and gave to us. We didn't merit anything from God. And yet God, in His love and His mercy and His grace, shed His love upon all those who are His. And that's the type of love and that's the type of attitude that Paul is calling the church in Rome and as well here in the church in Philippi to exercise. It's a very strong exhortation and it's a beautiful exhortation as we look at it. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul said this, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That was in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So he is expressing there the understanding of walking in a manner which is worthy of our calling. Now, Paul expressed that at the opening of this letter, and he wanted them to express that love and have a, a oneness of mind and a singleness of mind as a body. <clears throat> True spiritual unity is grounded in the unity of the Trinity itself. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said this, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now once again, he lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ as the preeminent example of love. And so he's urging the Colossians saints to exercise that same type of love. And the preeminent example, of course, is the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. Paul wants the Philippian saints to establish themselves in the city of Philippi and to be set apart from the world and yet in the world and in such living such a life that they're an example of who Christ is. This is what he's calling them to. The foundation of all believers' oneness is in that of the unity of God granted in Jesus Christ's prayer that His people may be one even as You, Father, are in Me and I in You that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's from the Gospel of John, 
verse 21 of chapter 17. That prayer was answered when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And afterwards, to indwell the believers, to bring eternal life, and also the essence of unity for all believers in the body of Christ, so they could be living out this life in Christ with true love and examples to the world. Now, when there's disharmony and disunity among God's people, it truly grieves the Lord. Think about it. He sent His Son here on earth, God incarnate, to live a perfect and sinless life, to suffer and die, and to raise again and sit once again at the right hand of the Father. He provided the essence of pure love through His Son. And for all those that partake of salvation, He's giving this exhortation to live as examples to the world of a living God living in us and through us. Although sound doctrine and moral purity and passionate commitment to the Lord and His work is essential within any church and also for an effective ministry, this is not a guarantee or protection from any disharmony. William Barclay says this, and I quote, The one danger which threatened the Philippian church was that of disunity. There is a sense in which that is the danger of every healthy church. It is when people are really earnest, when their beliefs really matter to them, that they are apt to get up against each other. The greater their enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. It is against that danger Paul wished to safeguard his friends. End quote. That was a wonderful insight that William Barclay gave. Paul's whole theme in this portion of this letter is that of calling these believers to a central theme of being united and living in harmony. Think about it. Think about what that does in the world where there's so much chaos and so much division, so much contention, wars and rumors of wars. Paul here is calling us out to be living examples. Unfortunately, the church many times, I'm talking universally now, is an example of just the world. People fighting over things that are have no eternal value at all and quibbling over things which divide and cause great disharmony in a local fellowship. Paul goes on to say this. <clears throat> there are four essential essentials in bringing about this unity. So let's begin to examine them. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete 
by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There it is. Now, there's four essentials within this exhortation that Paul gives. And we're going to try to examine them uh, to pick out the four essentials that bring harmony and unity within the local church. There are four ifs in this verse. Now, the grammatical essence of this word if is always conditional. If you do this, this will be the result. So it's conditional when Paul uses the word if. Now, the word can also be translated because or since. That is the word if. It could be translated because or since in order to give it a more complete meaning. In Philippians 2, 1 through Paul, Paul gives what is perhaps the most concise, the most practical teaching about unity in the entire New Testament. In these verses, there are four necessities which unity must be built. One, if or because there is any encouragement. Two, if or because there is any comfort from his love. Three, if or because there is any fellowship with the Spirit. And finally, four, if or because there is any tenderness and compassion of God. If or because these four things, you and I are to be like-minded. In other words, we should all be of the same mind in accord with God's Word. That is what brings unity within the body of Christ. It is centralized around and in the Word of God. We are like-minded in that. Now, there may be differences on the minors in the areas of minor doctrines, but in the essentials of Christianity, there must be a unity. We must be single-minded in the areas of the essentials of the doctrines of Christ. And when I say essentials, we want to understand the essentials of the doctrine of the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the essence of the authority of God's Word, His inspired Word, the essence of Christ's incarnate life, living in a perfection of sinless life, suffering and dying and being resurrected and then sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then at Pentecost, the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in all believers. There is several more essentials, but we are to be single-minded in those. There is no separation within the essential doctrines of Christ and the gospel of Christ. Here, Paul is giving us the understanding of how to actually live out the gospel. Everything evolves out of that. 
when we think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, being saved, being regenerated, and being able now to obey God by his power and through his grace, this is what Paul is lifting up. This is the essentials that bring us the unity in Christ. In this context, therefore, when Paul says that in verse 1, he's referring closely to the conditions that he was speaking of in chapter 1. Therefore, it looks back to the principle of being of one mind. Uh, Look back with me in chapter 1 at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See how he's pointing back to this and now he's bringing us to the understanding of this singleness of mind. And that is what Paul is emphasizing here. The first element of this harmony that is brought through Christ is that of encouragement in Christ. Paul says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. What does this word mean in the original? This is actually that of coming alongside. It has the essence of um, the Holy, it's picturing the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the one who indwells us now. Here is talking about believers bringing forth and coming alongside and encouraging others. Whenever we have uh, the understanding of God's Spirit being our helper, He is actually the empowerment of the essence of God working in and through us. Here, though, Paul is speaking about believers actually coming alongside another believer and rendering help, love, affection, and showing kindness to this other believer in the essence of how they should conduct themselves. They're supposed to be urging us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. What is that? Our calling to follow Christ. Our calling to obey God. Our calling to witness the gospel to a lost world. We should be able to strive that is the oneness of having the oneness of mind and spirit with one another because of Christ in our life. Jesus taught the disciples this. They were to covet the lowest places at the table, giving honor to the other person. He taught that love was to be their highest virtue. And he prayed this, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one in me and I am in you. May they be also in the world, may be that you, that the world may believe that you have sent me. That again is from John 17, verse 21. And in Matthew 19, Matthew said this, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. 
Christ always taught that we are to defer to the other, to consider others as more important than ourselves, which Paul is going to emphasize in the next few verses. So we have to understand his teaching parallels the Lord himself's teaching when he was here on earth incarnate. <clears throat> Even though we confess Christ's name and confess to be a believer, we we must understand that though we confess Christ's name, we're actually one in Christ with him. And in John, he's describing a visible unity. It can be a unity that the world will be able to witness. Not just the unity we have in spirit, but how that unity is lived out visibly to the world. If we were just uh, saved and had a deep relationship with God and were separated from one another and separated from the world, how is that going to reflect Christ living in us? It is when we live in harmony together that reflects to the world a love that only God can bring. There's a love in the world that is temporal, that the world expresses. But we have the agape love, which Paul will describe here in the next portion of this verse. Here, Paul is talking about this unity must be expressed in our actions and in our speech. How is it that we treat other fellow believers? How about those that have a different personality? Or perhaps one that may be contentious. How do we come alongside these that God may have in the body? Maybe that are uh, not living fully empowered by the Spirit or not fully walking by the Spirit. We're to come alongside, bring encouragement, urge them into a life of repentance and obedience and to exercise godly love towards those. So as we think of this, Paul goes on to say, if there's any consolation of love, this is a second element of the four elements that Paul gives us. Consolation has the literal meaning of speaking closely with someone and giving comfort. It is close to the meaning of encouragement because both words mean a close relationship marked by genuine concern and genuine love. The consoling love is what the Lord Jesus Christ gives in essence to the unredeemed, the unworthy sinners, the grace to salvation for all that he is called. That's the perfect example of this love. Because we're <clears throat> understanding this love and because we express that in some ways our gratefulness of God's love towards us, that we are undeserving sinners and yet Christ died for us and brought us into salvation. We look beyond another Christian's faults and we see them as Christ sees them. As lost sinners saved by grace. There's not one of us that can't look at our past pre-salvation and understand that we're not worthy of salvation. 
If we don't understand the doctrine of sin, then we truly don't understand salvation. If we don't understand that we were sinners and lost, unable to do anything to please God, then we don't understand salvation. If we understand where God has brought us from, then we can look at another believer and understand they are also saved by grace. If it were not by the grace of God, there go I. We have to understand that type of love for one another. And this is what Paul is bringing out in this one essential of the consolation of love. Christians must see each other uh, with a pattern of love which God showed us. If we really love one another as Christ loved us, we'll not want to separate ourselves. We'll not be factious. We'll not just group together with certain people. We should welcome one another with true agape love. Understanding when somebody's in a fault or somebody's in sin, to come alongside that brother or sister, to be able to bring help restore them. That's what God is bringing forth here through Paul's teaching on the consolation of love. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. This is a command, not an option. This is the supreme command. If we think of it, all the other commandments will be fulfilled through that one command of loving one another. If we love, we're not going to take something from somebody. If we love, we're not going to harm somebody. If we love, we're not going to do anything to cause harm to another individual. This is the essence of all the commandments being fulfilled through this one commandment. It is our love for other Christians that must be following the essence of Christ's love for us. Now, the third thing that Paul mentions here is that of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. Fellowship comes from the word, of course, koinonia. This describes a partnership, a sharing with one another. This fellowship is intimate because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our fellowship is in Christ and in his eternal inheritance. We are continually to be filled with the Spirit, as Paul called the church at Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 18, being filled with the Spirit. The proper response of believers should be the motivation to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, just as Paul exhorted the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 3. By always pursuing unity and peace, this is not a human fellowship like a friendship. It's not a man-centered fellowship. This is a fellowship that exists between Christians created by God Himself. It exists not because they have a commonality, but because of the grace that has been mutually given to another believer from God himself. It's dependent upon the body of Christ being united through Christ. 
This part of Christian fellowship is taught in 1 John. After beginning his letter with a confession of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, John goes on to say this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That was from 1 John 1.3. Because we have been brought into this vertical relationship with Christ, we now can have the horizontal relationship with other believers, fellow believers. So this essence of fellowship is not just having a barbecue, but our fellowship together. We can have a barbecue and enjoy true fellowship centered in Christ. Being able to understand that our union is by the Holy Spirit himself. That is true fellowship. It is based in and encompasses that of the body of Christ. And the union we have with one another because of Christ. Our relationship is closer than that of blood. Because it is centered in the blood of Christ. Our relationship is centered in the fact that we all are indwelled by God's Holy Spirit. Now, Paul gives us the final element, the fourth element of that of bringing harmony in any local fellowship. He says, if there is any affection and compassion. Now, these are qualities or virtues characterized by Christ himself, who brought comfort and encouragement to the weak and the oppressed. Affection means literally that of the innermost being. And uh, metaphorically, it's speaking of our emotions, the very bowels of a believer, that of the essence of our innermost being. That compassion is something that is only brought about by true relationship in Christ. True compassion is not just helping somebody walk across the street. True compassion is centered in Christ. And it only can be exercised truly in a biblical sense by believers. And Paul is exhorting believers that we need to exercise this affection. It is a personally, uh, it can be connected with a deep personal longing for a loved one. That is, having a deep compassion for others and exercising agape love toward that individual. Believers are in Colossians were called to this. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3.12 If we're truly experiencing God's compassion, then we are to reflect that to one another. What is it that we deserved? We deserved hell. And yet, in Christ's compassion and in His mercy and in His grace, He exercised love towards all those who are His. The negative elements of all these primary uh, exhortations, these four exhortations that Paul gives, is this. 
if we fail to seek this uh, and try fail to exercise spiritual unity, we actually contribute to causing weakness in the body of Christ. If we're not exercising these elements, then we're failing to do what God's called us to do. These are imperatives. Uh, these are actual commands that God has given us through His servant Paul. These are the elements which God has called us to, to preserve the unity in the body of Christ. He wants us to exercise these elements of love to one another and therefore bring glory to God in the eyes of the world and yet to be able to center our fellowship in Christ with one another in love. Paul gave these four elements uh, beginning with verse 2. He adds a personal desire. He wanted him to show these practicing elements to make his joy complete. Remember, these Philippian saints loved Paul so much they, you know, they sent someone to Paul while he was in prison in Rome to bring comfort to him, to bring a report about the church itself, to bring encouragement to Paul and even to supply some of his physical needs. They were practicing this love that Paul was speaking of. And Paul says, you know, if you want to make my joy complete, if you really care that much about me, then practice these things. These are commands from God, but I want you to practice these things to make my joy complete. Paul wanted to show them how much he loved them. Uh, he wanted them to understand that by practicing things, they're not only being obedient to God, and they're not only being a witness to the world, but they're going to bring joy to his heart. Being of a sound mind, Paul, in concluding this, uh, <clears throat> literally means that thinking the same thing or being like-minded, once again, of one mind. Thinking right in the essentials of spiritual unity that is the major theme of this entire epistle. There are 26 times when Paul uses this term. In is 10 of them are found here in Philippians, but 26 times in the New Testament, this word proneo is that of a sound mind is used. And Paul is talking about actively striving to achieve a common understanding and agreement of being of a sound mind. If these believers were to be of a sound mind, we must walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's how he instructed the church at Rome to walk. In Romans 8, verses 4 and 5, Paul reminded the Colossians that conflict in the church always comes when there's dissension. He urged the Colossians, set their minds on things that are not on the earth, but rather things that are above. We have to recognize the eternal essence of what we're doing. It's not what we do today that reflects something that is going to just affect us for today or tomorrow. We have to understand what God wants His children to do is to bring forth 
those things that are going to glorify Him and have eternal value. It's not the temporal things that we need to be uh, focused on. Those are things that we have to deal with daily. But we have to recognize what God wants us to focus on is the things of eternal matter. He wants us to exercise this love, this compassion, this oneness of mind, these central elements of harmony to bring glory to Him and have eternal value. Uh, A second mark of this unity is being maintained by the same love, being of the same mind, to have this love for one another in the same way that Christ demonstrated that to the disciples. It is based on seeking the welfare of another person. Now, we're running out of time here, but I'm going to try to summarize this by understanding, bringing this understanding that today we have chaos throughout the world. And we can look at that and become despondent, depressed. But if we look at it through the eyes of God's Word and understand it from a biblical worldview, God has placed us in this time in eternity during this course of all that's going on in the world. He has created us, brought us into this time, in this century, in this period, to be a witness for Him. Whatever settings we are in, whatever our circumstances may be, we have to understand God's sovereignty, His plan for each of us. It has been planned in eternity past. We are here for His purpose to fill His, to bring glory to His name. We can do so by fulfilling these elements that God has called us to. Bringing encouragement. Bringing the consolation of love. Having fellowship and affection. Being like-minded. And deferring to one another. Considering one another as more important than ourselves. This is what we're going to leave off and we'll pick up later in this text. But... Go with this encouragement. God has given us the empowerment to love others as He has loved us. We have the capability to witness Jesus Christ to the lost. What a privilege. We can get excited when we have an opportunity to bring the gospel to someone who does not know Christ. We can also be excited to be able to come alongside a brother or sister and bring encouragement to show that oneness of mind and live in harmony as Christ exemplified for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great exhortation that your servant Paul has given us. And we pray, Father, that you might grant us the grace to exercise these elements that you have brought forth to bring glory to your name. I thank you, Father, for this fellowship. I thank you that you have placed us in this period of time and history for your purposes to bring glory to your name. And I pray for your grace to be taken and used and exercised fully to your glory. I pray now as we resume this 
time of worship, that you would be glorified through our song and praise and hymns. And as Jim brings forth the word, I pray, Father, that we'd receive it eagerly and that we'd be able to practice these things to your glory. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.